Welcome to the Oklahoma Energy Podcast, where industry experts and top thinkers deconstruct the cutting-edge issues facing legal and energy professionals today. Find us online at oklahomaenergypodcast.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by CASO Land and Imaging Services, Norman's premier provider of courthouse document imaging services. Hey Daniel, even you can start running title today, as CASO Land and Imaging Services makes that possible by using the best available technology and staying focused on their clients' priorities. They are fiercely committed to exceeding your needs. CASO Land and Imaging Services. We are in the courthouse, so you don't have to be. We're very grateful on behalf of OU Law and 1S to Scott Casso and his team for becoming the Oklahoma Energy Podcast's very first sponsor. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Oklahoma Energy Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Ray, here with my co-host, Daniel Tavera, Brandon Lant, and our great and powerful producer, Ryan Dobbs. It just has such a nice ring to it. It does have a nice ring to it. Our guest today is someone many of you already know, Professor and Attorney Dave Hampton. Professor Hampton has been at the OKC law firm Hampton and Milligan for 38 years and a professor at the University of Oklahoma Business and Law Schools for 12 years. Dave is a master of title opinions and all four of us are currently in your class. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I just want you to know your grades are right in your chair, so just get up and have a look. No, uh, I'll give them to you next week. No, I'm teasing. Uh, anyway, glad to be here. Um, I'm glad uh, the podcast got started. I'm glad to be a guest today. So if you want to, start shooting me a few questions. So we put together a bunch of questions from ourselves as well as other students. Uh, you're looking very tan, so my first question is, how was your cruise? It was really wonderful. Uh, there's nothing like uh, starting school and then going immediately on a cruise. Because, <laughs> so, uh, actually, uh, you know, all the rowing I had to do was a little tough, but uh, it wasn't quite the you know first class cruise you would take. But uh, but I got through it, you know. And uh, but we did. We spent a week back in uh, down in the Lesser Antilles. Uh, oh, wow. Saw a little bit of um, hurricane damage. Uh, went to the island of Anguilla, and it was still pretty tore up. Up and uh, St. Martin was still tore up. The uh, Dutch got around to cleaning up, and the French just quite hadn't got the old pans <laughs> out yet. So, but uh, still, it was very uh, interesting to go in and um, uh, get a week off and come back uh, right in time for the polar vortex, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which they haven't named yet, I guess, or whatever. You know, the worst one we've ever had. So, anyway, yeah, it's interesting because Dan know. Steffens had talked about that just yeah. a month or two ago about how Chicago was going to get negative thirty degrees and the impact that it was going to have on gas prices. He knew. Yeah, yeah. he yep. called it. We saw that. Yep, it's just, um, and, and it happens. Um, you know, Minnesota, I remember I had relatives up there in Minnesota, and uh, we go to Minnesota periodically, and, uh, you know, you just want to try to avoid it when it happens, <laughs> and sometimes you get caught, you know, so, uh, but it's pretty cold up there. We have we have a couple of attorneys that live up in Minneapolis, and uh, when they're concerned, you know, they usually laugh about the cold weather, but when they're concerned about it, then, you know, you've got very cold weather going on, so, you know, but good luck to them up there, you know, right. so, yeah. 
Well, Dave, where did you grow up? Uh, when did I grow up? Uh, I really haven't grown up yet, okay? I'm still out having a pretty good time. Um, you know, when I, when it happens, so I will let you know. Oh, you, I'm sorry. You want to know uh, where did I grow up at? Oh, okay. I grew up at uh, Pahuska, Oklahoma. Uh, I call it the heart of the Osage because we were uh, the um, uh, county town for uh, uh, Osage County, which was, of course, the uh, Osage Indian Reservation. So lived up there pretty much all my life. Uh, came to OU in 1973 and graduated in 1977, started law school, and graduated law school in 1980. So, yeah, been doing it ever since. But I, I will say for two years, I started out as a landman with Texas Oil and Gas Corporation. So, oh, okay. Yeah, uh, who was the precursor to Chesapeake as far as how mean can you be? Okay, so now I'm teasing. <laughs> <laughs> how aggressive can you get in the old field, you know? But uh, no, anyway. So how did you go from graduating with a psychology degree to studying oil and gas law? Well, Brandon, that's a pretty easy answer, okay? I mean, what do you do with psychology degree, okay? Uh, not much. Uh, no. Actually, it was kind of funny because uh, OU at the time, um, really, uh, we had the um, we had the chimps here at the time we were at school. So we were behavioral psychologists. So uh, literally, uh, they were trying to probably tone that down and re-switch their uh, curriculum a little bit, and um, but uh, it was kind of funny. I, I always equated with the movie Ghostbusters because when I was studying psychology, I worked with a professor that was a behaviorist and had what was called the attribution theory. But we got to go down and literally put people in chairs and shock them. Okay, you know, we'd wow. ask them a few questions. You can't do that me, anymore. Yeah, I don't think you can. Uh, Not in this day and age, you can. <laughs> but back then, we could. Okay, and it was just kind of something straight out of Ghostbusters where. <laughs> You know, it was like, well, that's not even the wrong answer, but I'm going to shock you anyway. <laughs> Sounds like a fraternity hazing. Yeah. So I figured there weren't many jobs out there shocking people. So, uh, But no, actually, I came from, uh, my dad was a district judge uh, for 22 years in Osage County, and uh, he was the um, second generation attorney in our family, and so I became the third, and trying to, um, you know, um, you know, just looking at it, I applied to law school. I did have the uh, chance to go sailing around the world. I had a choice, law school or sailing around the world. And you'd probably say, well, why didn't you sail around the world? Because <laughs> I'm stupid, okay? And uh, but a friend of mine, he took off for sailing around the world. And actually, that's why I was cruising, because um, it was a recommended cruise from my ex-captain that I used to sail with in the Caribbean uh, or Caribbean back in the 80s. Did he so, actually yeah. end up sailing? He went around the world twice, okay? Yeah. So, uh, and believe me, uh, in some pretty hairy situations. And just being out in the open ocean on a, on a sailboat is scary enough yeah uh being in a storm is extremely scary and being in one where the waves are 60 feet or is you know, like into the earth but uh he did very well he uh, was a very good uh, captain he's now a landlubber and and so we, we, we're taking motorized yachts now you know we're not, <laughs> oh, yeah. you, know, you can drink on them you can stay up late at night you know instead yeah. of having a pair of binoculars looking out for something to hit you okay yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> anyway but uh but anyway uh, law school was just a, a natural for me it just came naturally and um 
literally back when I started law school, it was $22 a credit hour. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you didn't really have to look at expense or anything to that degree. And, and uh, so it made it very easy. And went to law school, really not really with a career in mind, just getting through law school and then maybe going back and practicing, but didn't really want to go back to the big town. And then once I got out, then uh, basically uh, ran into somebody I worked with in undergraduate school, had a contact with him. He had a contact with an oil company. And from that part on, I've been in purgatory ever since. You know, so. <laughs> Who were the professors for oil and gas at the law school? Well, Eugene Kuntz was my professor, and, and, uh, you know, everything they say about him is true. Uh, I was very fortunate to have him. Uh, I kept wondering what the abendum clause was a lot, you know, but but, uh, he was really good. He would come in, and he had an air of professionalism that was just, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't match it. And I was really fortunate, actually, too, that I did have some of the other, uh, quote, big professors that were here at the law school. Um, 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 Professor Frazier um, taught CivPro, and you'd better know it. Or you know, But by the time I got him, we had really good outlines at that Thank time. You. And, uh, you know, so that made it, that, that helped. But, uh, but we had some really good professors, though, and they really cared, and they were kind of at the end of their careers, and it was kind of, I was lucky that I got them, you know. And, and you know, and I kind of look at that now, after being teaching for a while, that I should have definitely showed them a lot more respect (laughs) (laughs) so you have more title experience than probably the vast majority of attorneys in the united states um I'm sure you've come across some weird stuff. What's the most bizarre conveyance you've ever seen? Well, you know, you can every conveyance you almost see is bizarre, okay? I mean, anymore, it's just like, why are you doing this, okay? You know, you open it up, and you look at it, and you go, no, no, don't start this, okay? You know, and uh, and it just goes in, and they just keep repeating. Uh, the, the one conveyance that always sticks out in my mind was back in 19... 19- when I first started out, you know, you always wanted to avoid something that just really was just tough. And, you know, back then we're, we're taking notes on notepads. We don't have computers. We don't, you know, uh, we're standing up in the courthouse, you know. Uh, so, um, but we had this one conveyance. It was called Standard of Kansas. And it sounds a lot like Standard Oil of Indiana, and it was meant to sound like that, but it really wasn't like that. And what they did was they divided up. They kind of went bankrupt, and basically every mineral interest they owned, they divided it up on a denominator of like 32000 and gave it to their individual shareholders. And then... One guy came back in and leased them all out in certain areas and didn't lease them out in certain areas. So you had like 100 shareholders getting this interest. Now, that was 100 shareholders 60, 70 years ago. Now it's like 4,000 shareholders. Yeah. So yeah. so it goes into this big deal. I actually ran it not too long ago and uh, charted it out, looked at it. And um, it was it was really funny because back in the '80s you didn't want it, and this time we had stuff in the section we were checking that was worth worse than Standard of Kansas was. But Standard of Kansas, when you saw it, it just kind of was a sinking feeling, and you know it only cover about five acres of a 640 acre title opinion, and it would be you know it would cost more than the title opinion would to run that, but you would have to run it, you know. So it was, but uh, but you see that, and then you just see actually just mistakes that people make. 
make just stupid mistakes that are just kind of carried on. Yeah. And I call them correction deeds to correction deeds. You know, you just get this line of stuff start happening, and somehow I call it you get snake bit, and then it just keeps continuing. And then after a while, you know, you're just kind of used to it and inoculus to it. But um, but you see you see a lot of different things. It's real interesting. You'll see celebrities out in title. You'll see you know some really you know. Different names. Uh, Did you, you know. say you force pulled Barry Switzer one time? Or? Did, as a matter of fact. Oh, yeah. We saw Switzer out there quite a bit. <laughs> Jerry Jones. I mean, Jerry Jones was an oil man and, and he was in the Arcoma Basin out oh, wow. in eastern Oklahoma. So if you ever dealt much out there, you would run into his stuff out there. So um, I don't know how you got from there to the Cowboys, but, you know, I'm very happy for him. But, uh, but it depended on what areas you were in, too. Uh, you know, the funny thing about the staff area where they're drilling up in Kingfisher Blaine County was Kingfisher County was a big promotional county back in the 80s and people that would uh, have promoting wells or wanting to sell wells to people would go up there to drill wells in the Mississippi because they would always get production so as you could say they would always set pipe and when they set pipe then they could charge an operator's fee and so on and so forth and and so they would always get it and you know and so that area became you know, it was really promotional areas so all these people still kind of own up there in some wells that are still held by production so you come across some some pretty uh, um, some pretty uh, people that uh, have quite the reputations sure. out there <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's very interesting you know so but uh, but uh, it's uh, the history of it all is um, to me is the most important thing and what you're reading you're just reading people's lives actually and you get to see when they come on the land and when they come off the land and um, you get to see them when they're buying their first house and when they die in their house you know so it's it's there's a lot of poignant moments in it too you know but yeah you see a lot of airship you see a lot of you know uh, you know the progression of time going on so it makes it interesting it does you know so so uh, I think a lot of students, even here at OU, may not even know what a title opinion is at this point. Uh, could you explain kind of what a title opinion is, why it matters, and why it's so expensive? Okay. Well, basically, uh, real property incurs title, okay? And so you have to have title to real property. It has an address. It has a description for it. And so when you purchase a piece of property, you're going to be purchasing a described piece of property. And what is going to happen is, is you're going to want to know what occurred from the time that that property was patented. And we call it patent. Basically, that's your base title. Usually signed by the president or, or one of his. Usually uh, one of his, yeah. If you find one signed by the president, let me know. <laughs> it does recite that he's signing it, but I'm sure it's one of his minions, yeah. you know, over there scratching out his name for him. But uh, uh, the, the, the funniest thing is, though, it is signed by the president at the time. And a lot of what we have and patents that we have are what we call homestead patents, okay? So they were given out to the most popular one in Oklahoma is an 1862 homestead patent, and they were basically for free. So that's why we had land runs and a lot of people coming here because they were getting the property for free. All they had to do was work it for five years. Now, prior to that, they were trying to raise revenue by selling property. So we had land acts in 1820, 1830. And so, but... 
The long and the short of it is, is when you buy and sell property, you've got to have a title opinion. And that goes for the surface as well as the minerals. And to the general audience, surface is one estate, the minerals are another estate, and they're both different. Now, you could still have a surface owner and he can own all the minerals, and that would be non-severed minerals. But when you have severed minerals, then it goes in what we call fractionalized minerals, and they start freely trading those minerals. And what occurs, you could have one surface owner, and I could have a thousand mineral owners under that track of land that the surface owner has. So what it's gotten into now is back in the day when I got out of school in 1980, we could run a 640 in western Oklahoma within a day and have it done, checked, and written up. And now it would probably take us anywhere at least 30 days to get a good idea of what's going on and probably outpress one in probably 90 days probably. Now the merge, what we've been working on here, the title opinions have old production in them. They're very complicated. Uh, a lot of them sit on the river. So we can run into stuff that will take us sometimes up to four to six months to do, you know, a 640-acre unit or a 1280 unit. So, and is that but, where most of the cost comes from is the time and, and just the pure Yeah, and you got to imagine that you're looking at this eight hours a day, yep. and you may be looking at five acres for like a week, okay? You're looking – you're going track to track chronologically from the start of time that happened from the first document that was filed to the present date. And what also is going on right now, too, is we have a lot of mineral buyers out in the field that not only are people getting leased for oil and gas, but they're being approached to sell their minerals. So all of this is kind of coming down all at the same time. So not only are we looking to have to look to mineral ownership, we have to look how it's being sold, and then we have to look how it's being leased. And that comes up to where, in an average title opinion right now, we're probably at 100 oil and gas leases, probably on the average. And all of them have different provisions. All of them do different things. All of them have different death limitations. All of it creates different leasehold breaks. And so it makes for a very complicated title opinion. If you don't organize it, then something will be out of whack and you'll make a mistake. So, and you can't do that. You know, it's just one of those deals. So, but the biggest difference is, is the mineral opinions. When you start doing minerals, you start pulling a lot of documents. If I did the surface, you know, we could do the surface in little or no time probably compared to what we could do uh, with mineral title. Now, I will say what we're working on right now, we have a lot of small surface tracks out there and they definitely get in your way also too, you know, but they're all in the index and so you have to kind of sift your way through them to kind of find it, you know, so... So, you know, speaking of that, what is the difference between surface and mineral type? Well, surface, like if you own a residence, most more than likely anymore, if you own a residence, you're not going to uh, own the minerals, okay? The person owns it before you sold it to you is probably going to reserve the minerals. So if you're going to sell your property, a house, especially a house, they're going to want to have uh, title insurance on it. They're going to want to have an abstract done, which is a compilation of all the title title documents that's ever been done, and they want you to read the abstract and render a title opinion on it. So what you do is you go through and you give them your opinion of what that title is and who the record title owner is, and if that title is marketable. If it's marketable, and if you have title that's free and clear of any claims or anything, then it's marketable title, and it's good title at that point. Now, when we do mineral title, we go out and we try to assess who owns the minerals. 
Now, we don't get as lucky as surface title because of buying and selling mortgages or having mortgages, they make people clean up their title. Now, with minerals and people having small title, if they have a death or, you know, if the person owning it dies and they don't probate his estate or they file an affidavit of an airship, then we have to wait 10 years for that to ripen. Or uh, We have a lot of issues out there. So um, you get into uh, the biggest difference is, is surface is much easier than mineral is. And mineral can be literally broken up into, you know, different footages. Uh, a lot of different things happen. can be on term ownership, so on and so forth. Whereas when you're just buying and selling a house, it's just mortgage deed, mortgage deed. Mm-hmm. You know, with mineral, it's, you know, oil and gas leases, easements, you know, encumbrances. Even mortgages on mineral properties. Right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see it all. And you've got to account for it all. You've got to make sure that even the old stuff is taken care of or that you've said, I want you to find out about this or you make inquiries. So you're always on notice of a lot more things on mineral title. So yeah, what so. happens if you mess up something in the mineral title? First thing you do is you call your client, okay? <laughs> you know, and say, I messed up, okay? Yeah. And beg for forgiveness, okay? Um, really, uh, the Bar Association, number one, would tell you, and I, I tell you, anybody from an ethical standpoint, if you ever mess up, Go to the person you messed up with first, and you know, and don't wait, and don't hesitate, and don't try to, you know, posture yourself or anything. Just get it done. You know, that's the most important thing. Usually, most of the time that you mess up on something, now, the way that we outfit our opinions is that we provide for it to check and balance itself. So. Can you talk about the importance of a legal description and what that means for everyone? Well, what happened was back in um, literally at one point in time, and this was prior to 1980, Title opinions were done on abstracts, and surface opinions were still done on abstracts. Now, what you have is you have what's called abstractors, and those are people that literally put the documents together for you. Some people would refer, or some farmers or ranchers or landowners would refer to their abstract as being their title, when in fact it's not their title. An abstract's a collection of the documents that create the title, and then somebody reads it and then gives you a title opinion on the documents. Okay, so, um, but what we have is literally when we started out in 1980, we would go out to the courthouses, and uh, we. We're under in Oklahoma what's called the Public Land Survey System or the Jeffersonian System. Now, this was created by the Land Ordinance Act of 1785 by Thomas Jefferson, uh, who was a surveyor. Thomas uh, Jefferson surveyor. Uh, Abraham Lincoln was a surveyor. George Washington was a surveyor. Anybody that was important was a surveyor back then because land was the most important thing. So, but anyway, what had happened was is we were acquiring so much property and we were having westward expansion towards the Mississippi that we needed a way of describing property that we could go out and send surveyors out and have a, you know, a very easy way of describing something so you could get to it. And we had all this massive amount of property. And, of course, when we picked up Louisiana Purchase, then at that point, we needed something really bad. But we had it in place, and that was the public land survey system, which broke everything up into tracks, uh, being a section, township, and range. And a section was a square mile. And a township, now don't get confused with what I'm going to tell you here, but a township's made up of 36 
sections that constitute six by six or six by six square miles, okay, 36 square miles. So when you have that, that is your township and range. So it's, 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 you basically have a grid line that's put on a, a map, and there's an intersection of the grid line with a meridian line, and then you count either it's north or south by your townships, and that's every six miles is a township. So when I talk about township one north, I'm going six miles north of the intersection of the baseline with the meridian line. And then if I'm going either east or west, if I have like one north, one west, then I'm going six miles west. And at that point, my intersection that's where I'm at. I'm in one north, one west, and I'm in what other section that I find myself in. And the sections run in a serpentine method of just running a zigzag, one, two, three, four, five, six, drops down seven, eight, nine, ten, moves in just kind of a zigzag effect or a serpentine. So, But anyway, the legal description is very important. We have other legal descriptions, meets and bounds, which is basically what we use in the colonies. That's what we got away with. Uh, Texas has meets and bounds, and as you will know, if you operate in Texas, you spend a lot of time with surveyors laying out your units and so on and so forth, whereas in Oklahoma, we're on a grid system and everything's done in sections and in quarter sections. So it makes it very easy, you know, and uh, so the legal descriptions we have in Oklahoma makes it very easy for Oklahoma to be a very pro-producing state. And for Texas, you have to do a little bit more legwork. You can get to the title, but it's a little bit tougher, you know, so, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So um, how did Hampton and Milligan get started? Well, it basically, um, I got laid off, you know. I mean, yeah, I got yeah, I had a job, and then I didn't have a job, you know. And it was like, uh, you know, the funny thing about it was um, – it, it was one of those deals that when you're young, you've got the ability to do quite a bit. And um, and literally the gas bust of 82 when the price of gas went from being $10 an MCF to $2 an MCF or even lower than that, um, you know, basically everybody just packed it up and called it quits. It wasn't really Penn Square more than it was the price of gas and oil at that time that really dropped it. And so at that time, uh, I had worked for um, um, Texas Oil and Gas Corporation and then had worked for a small company, and everybody provided you a company car. So consequently, when I got laid off, I had some cash, but I didn't have a car. And so I had to uh, kind of think, well, what am I going to do? And um, I had a law degree, and I'd been – you know, looking at title opinions quite hard because that's what I did was I was a land man and uh, decided to go over to the other side and start practicing law and hung out my shingle and starved to death for a few years, you know. So, <laughs> and, uh, but it got better and things got better. And uh, then about four years into it, and, uh, Dan Milligan came around. And since that time, we've been sitting there pumping out opinions and having a pretty good time doing it. But, you know, you have the ups and downs of the industry. It's a commodity. It, um, there are times uh, I can give it to you from like um, um, from like 1982 to 2003. We were in kind of a depression. Now, <laughs> no, actually, 82, 87, 94, 97, you know, pretty tough out there sometimes. I mean, you would uh, have such variation in prices. You could wake up one day. Uh, feeling good and wake up the next day and you go, oh boy, you know, things are happening. And that doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't seem so, you know, but that was a good thing, you know, from that, you know, so. Is that just uh, from a perspective of your firm or? I think, 
it's, I think everybody went through it. I think yeah. people went through it in different ways, but, um, you know, uh, but I see that, uh, you know, there's a lot more consistency out there and, and, and there, the technology has really provided, uh, especially in Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma is a very good place to drill at and yeah. we're not going to see this place drilled out for a long time. You know, just, you know, it just won't happen here, you know, so. So what would a layperson find most surprising about your job? Probably the amount of reading that we do and the amount of numbers that we work with. You know, uh, you know, I'm an attorney because I couldn't be a doctor because numbers were not wired into my brain. Mathematics was a very down point for me. And so all I do is <laughs> mathematics now, okay? So, uh, but uh, it was, uh, you know, you're kind of wired in that direction. And, uh, but no, I do a ton of reading. And then in my spare time, I do a ton of reading. It's just kind of one of those things that, you know, uh, you would think by now you'd you know, have some, you know, a little bit of macular degeneration or something. But, uh, you know, I'm still going strong. So, but uh, but it's really, it's, it's addicting to read so much. It really is. You kind of, when you get to do recreational reading, you know, it's, it's very, you know, it's pleasant. It's enjoyable. It's very enjoyable <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know. So on the importance of those numbers, right. what's the largest monetary sum you've ever seen get lost based on a mistake like that? Well, they're kind of hard to really gauge on mistakes, but uh, I've seen where they've ran into the multi-millions. I mean, wow. and I'm talking, you know, where somebody has missed an assignment expensive or something. Typo. An expensive typo. And um, But uh, from a standpoint of if you have it all set up, to where you have your ownership report from the broker, you've looked it over, you've done your you know, your footwork before you start your opinion, you shouldn't get into that process. The only time that it really happens is when something's not filed of record or something that's not indexed and you don't see it, you know, so... Uh, but no, it happens. Mistakes happen. Uh, best way to deal with them is to, uh, get them taken care of, care of as quickly as possible. Make sure you contact your client always when you're in that type of predicament. First thing you do is contact your client, you know, or, you know, if you, if you notice a broker and a broker maybe has made a mistake, you call up the broker and notice him for that and say, what's going on? You might want to take a look at this, you know, and I, and we kind of expect that to happen if we have somebody looking at our stuff to give us a call and say, you know, take a look at this. And sure. we, we have it happen quite a bit, but, um, you know, but yeah, no problems. You don't want to have them, you know, you know not at all. You know, so, you know, what is the future of mineral title? Well, you know, um, you know, uh, Gary Kasparov played uh, big blue six times. Okay. He beat big blue six times. Okay. So, um, so I'd say four to two, I think the chances are about four to two, you know, that we're still going to be doing title in 20 years from now. I don't think that you can come in. Uh, we've always looked at it from a standpoint of, you know, we went through, you've got to imagine, I started out with typewriters and I'm with, you know, optical recognition, you know, technology. I'm with everything in the world that you could have. And you think that some of this would work, but the biggest problem you have is interpreting what is going mm-hmm. on with the document. And there's kind of a feel that you get that maybe, and this was what I was reading about Kasparov. What was really kind of funny was the one time that he got Big Blue one time, Big Blue was making, it was being a little, trying to be a little bit smarter and it should have been a little bit dumber and, you know, made a move because it was too smart, you know. And I'm almost thinking that's basically if you used a, a AI or something on title that you would get to that way. Now, they're using 
a lot of optical character recognition uh, to do uh, indexing and so on and so forth. But we find it to be kind of highly unreliable. And they've been doing this since like the 90s. But, you know, it's it's something that's exponential. Now, not to say that it can't be done at a certain point in the future. I, you know, anything can be done. But it's just one of those deals that, yeah, I could probably do mineral uh, fractional interest, but leasehold interest, I don't know. You're talking about a lot of logic and a lot of interpretation on contractual provisions. So, so people have been talking about this looming specter for... Oh, I had, I had somebody, it was kind of funny, on the Coons Conference come up to me, and it was kind of like, you know... Hey, buddy, come over here. I got a few Rolexes to sell, you know? <laughs> and I was like, no, you know, I was like, you know, but he yeah. had a program that, you know, literally he was trying to sell that would uh, basically do a complete ownership, you know, and it was all computerized. And he wanted to show it to me. And I was like, number one, I know it won't come out to the outcome that it, that it will do. And, uh, but it was one of those deals that they wanted somebody to be. They didn't want to sell it. They wanted somebody to wrap it or be all in on oh, it, you mm-hmm. know. So, but it to me would have to be. It was like when you had uh, voice recognition, voice recognition for the longest period of time. You know, I thought, well, gee, with that, you know, why do we have to anything voice recognition? You know, you can just put it right up there, yeah. and it doesn't work like that. It doesn't. No, no, it still doesn't work like that. You know, it's still. I mean, if you have a perfect Siri day, call me and let me know, okay? You know, <laughs> but, but I don't. But I just think it's just kind of difficult to kind of come to conclusion. Um, based on just you know uh, reading documents or scoring documents, and whoever would have to write the code for that, uh, it would be they would have to know quite a bit about yeah. title, you know, to do it. And I don't know if that could happen, you know, in this in and the way it changes so much too. That you know, um, but I will say that we tried to. I worked really hard this summer. I'm trying to come up with some better ideas, and I basically came back to the same idea we've been using about 16 years, except we just kind of bumped up the technology of right. our spreadsheet plans and how we kind of you know chart out stuff. But but back to kind of you know you kind of use what you use best you know at that point. Now I'm not writing on legal pads anymore, and I'm not in the courthouse, you know, and and I will give it to the amateurs. They've kept us out of the courthouse and have done a very good job and. <clears throat> that is a tough job. Let me tell you what, of going out and imaging uh, documents because what they're doing is is what we used to do. We would get an index and we would open up the document, look at it, and we would make you know copious notes about it or we'd make a copy of it and cost us a buck to do it and then we'd walk with it. But uh, going out there now, they can take, you know, where it's, you know, this is, you know, um, freedom of information. I mean, it's private, it's public property out there. And so we have the right to go out and take digital photographs of it. And so if you get a good imager, it's somebody that knows how to take the photographs it knows how to compile them and knows how to take the complete document and it knows where your uh, interest or where your stuff is at. So, so it takes somebody very good to do it, and it makes a difference. If you had a bad imager, then you know it can make your day pretty tough. You know? And uh, but I kind of miss going out in the courthouse. And then again, when I go out and I'm out there for about about three in the afternoon, I don't miss it. You know, yeah. so, <laughs> no. you know, so it works out well. But the imagers have been doing really well. Uh, um, uh, what I see, their technology is improving vastly too. And uh, 
but it's kind of funny. Sometimes I'll take the old iPhone out with me occasionally, and sure. if I'm just out running by something, snap it with it. And that makes kind of a good tool for just a quick fix if you're out there just running through a town and go, oh, i got to stop and look at this instrument, and you can just take a picture of it and move on. Or you can have you know, get an imager to go out, and that's what we do on our big opinions is they're all imaged for us. And so they will permit us flash drives with all the documents on them, and they will be you know, sorted, they will be corrected, they will be sized up, and so all we have to do is just run through them. So, yes, it's a big deal for us. It really it, uh, it made the process of doing title number one much more accurate and much more faster to do it you know and have it out there and uh, so, so kind of building on these these folks who are programmers or, or entrepreneurs um, trying to make this whole process more efficient um, how can the next generation uh, of oil and gas students do that where, where do you see the holes in the process that can be built well, number one is, you know, you, you can't really start at the top, okay? You know, I mean, literally, if you want to learn how to do or check title, you got to start really pretty much at the bottom. And, you know, but the people that know how to check it that can come in and that can do by what we call it held by production acreage, you know, acreage that's in its second term on a leasehold that, uh, you know, has established production, and they can go in and interpret what the assignments and contracts that were made, uh, those people make good money, and they're, they're always employed. Uh, the people are not employed are the ones that just can do mineral title, you know, at that point, you know. So it really makes a big difference if you can put it all together. And so, um, you know, so I think that, uh, you know, starting at the bottom and working up, I'll put it to you this way, that's how I started and that's why I felt good about going out because I'd been doing title work for two years before I started really doing legal title work. So, you know, so you got to kind of, you just can't really, you can jump into the deep end of the pool, but you might drown. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> Shifting gears. Um, what makes the energy program at OU different from anywhere else? Well, first of all, number one, you have so much legacy here at OU, uh, alumni as well as um, you know the faculty here. Uh, Eugene Koontz, you know, is definitely the consummate expert at oil and gas, and uh, his treatise is very well known and very well respected. We had a fifty-page case come down on appeal from the Supreme Court. And my, they cited him at least eight different times in that, and it was a very complicated opinion. And somehow Eugene Coots came back from the grave for that and wrote that opinion, and uh, it was quite good. I mean, it was, I mean, literally because you know when you were looking at what they were interpreting and how they were getting to it, they couldn't have got to it without Eugene Coots, and so that's what really makes it special. Uh, you know, the one thing about OU too is you know with our engineering college our energy management school, we're more energy orientated towards that. And then we think in that direction more too from a standpoint that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an environmentalist, but I'm also an oil and gas producer. I, I represent the oil and gas producers. So, um, so um, anyway, you know, it's one of those deals that, um, you know, OU represents all of that, I think. And, you know, and, you know, everybody is going to, you know, get into more of renewables and so on and so forth. But OU is going to carry the ball pretty much forever as far as oil and gas is concerned. And we'll be around to monitor it until they, you know, probably find me stuffed in a closet somewhere, you know. <laughs> so, but no. Uh, but we have a good team of people up here. Um, We're going to uh, try to have Steve Long on the podcast from the floor of Nate. 
I think that would be absolutely wonderful. The man and the man in the microphone, I call him. Okay? <laughs> you know, absolutely incredible. You need to get him while he's still working for that's right for uh, for OU. You know, he does retire, and uh, but uh, energy management's been very uh, gr- glad. Yeah, I'm glad they've had Steve. Uh, I've worked for him for the last four years, and just a great guy. You know. So um, what is your advice for students seeking a career in mineral title? Well, my first thing to do is, number one, don't get over your head, okay? I mean, you know, start out um, if you're really thinking about – if you're really thinking about doing it, I would work for an oil and gas lease broker. I would start at the bottom. I would start, you know, learning just basically the the simple business of going out and taking an oil and gas lease, how to check title in kind of a cursory standpoint, and then when you have another about two years under your belt, then you're maybe ready to go into a law firm or something like that. Or, you know, from a standpoint also, too, by taking mineral title, not only are you are taking mineral title, you're taking property. You know, you're taking wills and trust. You're taking torts. You're taking litigation. You're taking everything in the world all crammed into one little course. And that stuff will work not only for being a, a title examiner, but for a landman, but for a right-of-way agent, you know, for somebody that buys realty for a corporation. You know, you're going to know what is, you're going to know how to do it, and you're going to know what people are delivering to you at that point. And, you know, and so it makes you kind of a manager in that in that degree. I mean, if, you know, it has other uses for it that are very good. So, but, you know, work hard in it, understand it, and, um, you know, embrace it. If you embrace it, it'll embrace you. It got me, you know. I never thought I'd, you know, stick to something for thirty-eight years, but you know, what, what, like, what was it that brought you in? Yeah. Well, I, I tell you, more than anything, it was the thrill of the hunt. You know, seeing if you could do it. You know, yeah. uh, uh, that was, and 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 literally, somehow you will. It's like, you know, I, I probably should have sailed around the world. You know, at that one decisional point <laughs> I had. You know, but I decided I was going to do this other one, so. Why not do it well, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, at that point, and then you true. can sell around the world. And and um, but um, but for me, it was you know, I liked it. Uh, you know, I enjoyed it. And and you got to enjoy your work. Do you and, still get that thrill? Yeah, I do. Absolutely, nice. I do. I um, I miss it when I when I'm not busy or I'm not under the gun a little bit. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, it's going to be kind of hard to. I'm going to be one of those you know crying hands that doesn't want to retire you know, I just, you, know, you know i'm just like no i don't want to leave you know let me stay you know so but uh, it just happened so you know i'm in that move out age you know so you know but uh no you'll see me around for a while you know so yeah I hear you're good friends with Terry Bradshaw. You know, actually, I did run into Terry Bradshaw not that long ago. <laughs> I wouldn't say we're good friends because he told me to leave finally after a while. Yeah, after he had taken too many pictures with him, but uh, but I ran into him up at the Skirvin one time. Very nice guy, a wonderful guy, and uh, he's around here a lot more than you probably know. You know. So when you were hanging out with Terry Bradshaw, did he tell you who his pick was to win the Super Bowl, or what's your pick? Uh, I'm going to say that, you know, the Rams have got it in for, you know, for New England, but, you know, Brady and Belichick are just kind of hard to beat. And, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I just feel like that 
once again, here we go. I mean, is, is the Patriots Alabama just dressed up in different uniforms? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what what is this? You know, yeah, so yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting to see what will happen. But yeah. uh, you know, uh, hopefully, maybe the Rams will pull one out. So you yeah. know, we'll see what happens. But uh, where where are they where are they playing at? Are they playing in Atlanta? In yes, Atlanta. Atlanta. Okay. So we don't have the polar polar vote. vortex will be out of there. Yeah. Yeah, should be about eighty reach. degrees, yeah. you know. You know, so it should be good weather for the Super Bowl, you know. But um, anyway. Hey, this has been great. We'd yeah, love to have yeah, you thank back you. on. We'll sure, man, absolutely. Next time. I think if we do that, it's going <laughs> to it, it'll be it'll yeah. be a longer interview, a lot more fun. Uh, everybody's starting to start looking really good. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, no, have me back. Well, man, I'll be more than happy if anybody has any questions. Just have me email them to me and uh, be more than happy to answer them. And any student want to sit down and talk about it more, I'm always available. Yeah, thank so. you so much. Thank You're you. welcome. My pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Oklahoma Energy Podcast. Please leave us a review on your podcast host of choice and reach out. We'd love to hear from you. We would like to thank the University of Oklahoma College of Law, the Oil and Gas, Natural Resources and Energy Center, and the Center for Technology and Innovation and Practice. Find out more at oklahomaenergypodcast.com.